You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. You're going to grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're continuing, if you're visiting this morning, we're continuing our series uh, called The Book. We're going through the books of the Bible. And this morning's brought us to 1 Corinthians. We're going to kind of dive into the end of the book in chapter 15, as you can tell. So I'll give you a minute to, to turn there. Thank you all for leading us in worship. That was incredible. I've used this uh, metaphor before with, with college students. Um, it's been a while, though. I have here a hammock, and you know, with the, got the hooks, on, the anchors on each end. And you think about when you take a hammock somewhere, it's really, even though you want your hammock to be sturdy, what's probably more important is that what you anchor it to is sturdy, right? So um, you, you gotta find a good tree or if you're gonna find a rock to tie it to or whatever, you need some solid anchor points if, if it's gonna hold you up and you're gonna have a good time and not end up on your rear end on the ground. Um, thinking about the Christian life, you've got to have good anchor points. You've got to have know where your beginning is in Christ, but also where you could say your end is and where you're headed. You know, we don't think often about death. A lot of us don't, I would say. Um, maybe one of the things that makes Memorial Day kind of unique as a holiday, that we're, we're recognizing and honoring those who have, have given their lives for our country and, and think about death but we can't ignore the reality of death. You know, a lot of us, it seems distant, or maybe we even choose to try to kind of stiff arm and keep it at arm's length until it's just pressed upon us. So maybe you, you lose a loved one and you begin to wrestle with like, why them? Like, why did they have to die? Or why do I have to experience this sorrow? For many in this room, I was even talking with someone Last night, we, we, you get that phone call or you get that text that someone you love or have shared life with is, now has cancer or fill in the blank with whatever disease. And all of a sudden, death becomes a little more real to you. The reality of this is that every single person in this room, barring that the Lord comes back before we die, every single person in this room will face the reality of death at some point. And to go back to this metaphor, if you don't have a solid anchor point in your understanding of, of where things are headed, let me, from your perspective, sorry, let's say this is our beginning and this is the end. If you don't have a solid anchor point of your future and what it holds for you, or maybe a better way to say it, what Christ holds for you, it makes this time in between a little more shaky and a little more scary. Does that make sense? If I have loose anchor anchor points or or weak anchor points, it makes this time in between a little uneasy (laughs) because the beginning and the end maybe aren't sure. We're gonna see in 1 Corinthians 15 that the church at Corinth was actually struggling with with some of the questions of of death and what does the future hold and, and, and even questions like, okay, those who have died 
when Christ comes back, like, do they receive a resurrection body? Are they just like a little spirit floating around in heaven forever? Like what actually happens with that? And Paul, we see in, in really the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, he explains to them that the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has way more to do with the end and understanding death and understanding heaven than maybe they realize. So the gospel, yes, it's your beginning in Christ. It's how you come into a relationship with God. It starts, it makes you go from spiritually dead to alive in Christ. So it has a lot to do or everything to do with your beginning, but also the gospel and particularly the resurrection of Jesus has also everything to do with the end of your life and, and death and eternity. And it helps them see that if you understand the gospel and how it sets an anchor point for your beginning and you could say your end, meaning like your end here on earth, so to speak, it holds this time here on earth way more steady, way more solid, way more secure when you have those anchor points. So the, the question, if we could kind of put it in a question for and form, I think the question is, how should the gospel or maybe more specifically, how should the resurrection of Jesus shape the believer's view of death? How should the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus shape, how should it inform, how does it inform the believer's view of death? And notice I'm being very intentional, the believer's view of death. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus by grace through faith, meaning you've turned from your sin and turned and trusted the perfect finished work of Jesus, if you haven't done that, then what we're talking about this morning is not true for you. It can be true for you if you'll turn to Christ, but this is true of those who are in Jesus like we just sang about a few moments ago. So how should the resurrection of Jesus inform the believer's view of death? Just so you know, I'm kind of, uh, we're jumping to a part of the passage where he summarizes. So chapter, all of chapter 15, he's dealing with these questions and then he switches kind of in, in verse 50 and says, so here's what I'm saying. So in summary, here's what I want you to get. And that's where we're gonna jump, partly because we don't have two hours. Maybe, I don't know, it's Memorial Day weekend. Maybe we got all day, I don't know. Just kidding, I won't do that to you. Um, we're gonna jump to verse 50. And unlike I normally do, we're gonna spend a little more time uh, we're gonna kind of walk through a bulk of the passage and then towards the end of the passage, we're gonna see really two main points that I think are in this text that directly inform our answer to that question, which I think is the question we need to look at this morning. So if you would jump in in verse 50 with me. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor can corruption inherit corruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Let, let's pause there for a moment. So the term, the phrase fall asleep, that's a New Testament way for, of describing believers when they die. This idea that they've fallen asleep. So it's not like Paul's confused and he's like, oh, they didn't die, they just fell asleep. No, it's, it's a way of saying, because the believer has eternal life in Christ and their spirit goes to be with God, he says that it's like they've fallen asleep. He says, we will not all asleep, but excuse me, we will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. So he's saying, when Christ comes back, if you've not died, you don't die in that moment so then you can be transformed. No, when Christ comes back, if you're still alive, 
in that moment, you'll, you will be changed. You will put on your eternal body, your resurrected body. But those who have fallen asleep, they will also be changed. So even those who have passed and we've put their body, their flesh and bones in the ground, they will be changed as well. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So this transformation, this bodily transformation will happen just like that in the twinkling of an eye. So it's instantaneous transformation that will happen at the last trumpet. So he's not necessarily talking here about, I don't believe, about um, the rapture, but about the last trumpet when Christ returns to make all things new and we enter eternity. At that moment, those who are alive, they've not died physically yet, their bodies will be transformed. And those who have, again, been buried, put in the ground because they have died, their bodies will also be transformed. Halfway through verse 52, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. So it goes back earlier in the chapter, they had asked uh, the Corinthians, Paul was using a rhetorical argument and, and the Corinthians had asked, well, okay, are the, are the those who die, will they be resurrected? And Paul explains, Jesus died and was resurrected. So if they're in Christ, yes, they will be resurrected. There will be a physical resurrection. Then he used the rhetorical question of, well, what will their bodies be like? And as you can tell, Paul doesn't give us a ton of information here. It would be really cool if I could be like, if you check out this picture on the screen, we have a nice diagram of your heavenly body. Like, that's not how it works. What we do see is we, our bodies will be changed. So it's not a, it's not a um, complete do away with the old and now like you're turned into this like reincarnation, you come back as a cow. No, like it's not completely new, but it is new. So it's a transformation of your body in a moment. So the idea there being like, you'll be able to recognize people in heaven because yes, their body has changed and put on the immortal, the incorruptible, but it's still them. Kind of weird, right? It's transformation in an instant, in a moment. And why he says, because the, inc- excuse me, the corruptible can't inherit the incorruptible. And this, this body that is broken and frail must be clothed with immortality. All right, now we're kind of leaning towards, I think where he's finishing his argument. Verse 54, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. So he says, when that happens, when Christ returns and we are physically resurrected or if you're already alive, transformed into your heavenly eternal body, then in that moment, this saying will be true. He quotes Isaiah 25. Death has been swallowed up in victory. To be swallowed up in victory means it's completely overwhelmed, completely done for. If you look back, just flip, or in my Bible, I have to flip back, back, but in verse 26 of chapter 15, he says, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So he's saying, well, yes, Jesus has provided the victory over death, 
death still exists. That's, I don't have to explain that, right? <laughs> it's easy. But there's coming a day when death will be completely swallowed up in the victory of Christ and will be no more. Put this into a point. Here's our first point we need to see. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that death will not be part of our story forever. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that death will not be part of our story forever. I think he's, he's kind of drawing a, a, a climax there, a conclusion you could say to that first idea that so our bodies are transformed at that point when Christ returned. We inherit an immortal, um, incorruptible body and death will be swallowed up in victory. Why is that a big deal? Because in heaven, when Christ has come again and we are resurrected and transformed, you will not get any more phone calls that a loved one has cancer. Praise God. You will not get any more texts that, oh man, I just found out my, my brother, or my sister, or my dad, or my mom, or my roommate, whoever, I just, I just found out that, man, they're sick and they're not doing well. They've got to go to the ER. You won't get any more texts like that. No longer will you have to see someone as they come into church and say, man, hey, you sent our group that text yesterday and you were saying that be praying for your, your siblings and they're worried about the baby, how are things going and, and hear that the baby has passed away. No longer will you wake up and think, what is wrong with my back? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> be no more funerals. I, I, I know there's a lot of like young folks in here, even younger than me. I, I get that when you're, I feel like when you're young, you're kind of oblivious to, to funerals and, and death, but I, I don't know what, there's some, at some point in life, that, like, I don't know if it's just you hit a certain age and so you start losing loved ones, but you're gonna t- turn a corner where all of a sudden your mortality and the pain of death is gonna feel very real to you and very close to you. But if you're a believer, you can take hope in knowing that there's gonna come a day where death doesn't exist. It's be swallowed up forever. You say, man, well, like, okay, I get that, that it's coming, but how do we, like, how do we rejoice like, in knowing that it's not gonna be part of our story forever? Like, like how do we have hope for today? And Jack pointed out this has been a great metaphor for next Sunday on June 6th, but it's Memorial Day weekend, so we'll, we'll just, it'll be okay. Um, but June 6th, 1944, what is, that, what is that day? D-Day, right? You know, I, I'm, man, World War II, if, so interesting. Up to that point, it it's seemed pretty hopeless for the Allies. Look at the, American, the British, the French, the Canadians, like them trying to fight Hitler was not going anywhere. So most of you are pretty familiar with D-Day. So they, it was the largest amphibious invasion in military history, in world history. On June 6, 1944, I've got my stats here, so make sure I don't lie to you. 6,939 ships and landing vessels 
2,395 aircraft and 867 gliders landed at the beaches of Northern France. Seem hopeless, seem like, man, are we ever gonna be able to conquer Hitler? But on that day, they established a beachhead. That means that they took control of those beaches about 4,413, they say at the least, that's very, I said about, it's a very specific number, at the least, 4,413 men lost their lives that day to establish that beachhead. But because they secured that territory, listen to what was able to happen. In the coming year, they unloaded about 2.5 million men at those beachheads on that small little part of the beaches of France. 500,000 vehicles, and this blows my mind, and 4 million tons of supplies. (laughs) And that one beachhead, Normandy, France, completely changed the war. If you know history there, less than a year later, Hitler surrendered. And I say Hitler, Germany surrendered. An unconditional surrender. That beachhead, That one victory, while the war wasn't over yet, that one victory made sure the war would be over. And that one victory changed the course of world history. Like, I think it's it's fair to say, or like, yeah, fair to say that we get to enjoy the liberties we do today, really around the world, but certainly here in America, because of that one victory. it's, It's a fact that many of the soldiers and military leaders during that next year of the war, even during hardships, even during struggles, they would look and say, yes, we've got that beachhead and there's more supplies coming. There's more men coming. We can do this because that victory was won. What what Paul is saying and pointing back to the gospel in chapter, in the beginning of chapter 15, he's saying, when Christ died on that cross and rose again, he established a beachhead. And because his victory is won, even in the hardships of the battles we face today when we lose loved ones and we hear of people being sick, we know because that beachhead has been established that he did conquer death in the grave 2,000 years ago. Because of that, one day the war will be won. His victory, that empty grave in Jerusalem, changes the world history for every single believer. It changes our lives. You say, well, man, okay, I get that. I get he won and there's victory, but, but even still, it seems hopeless sometimes. It seems dark. I would remind you of what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, look not to hope, but look to Christ, the source of hope. And the difficulty and the darkness when it seems like, man, there's so much loss, there's so much pain, there's so much suffering. You don't look to just hope and peace. You look to Jesus, the, the source of that hope. More specifically, you look to the empty grave, that his empty grave is the promise that there's coming a day when death will not be part of our story. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that death will not be part of our story forever. There's hope, there's victory. You say, okay, I, I get there's coming a day, that seems good, that's kind of encouraging, but, but what about now? Like, okay, future hope, one day death will be no more, but, but what about today? Like, 
May 30th, 2021. What's really cool about this passage, there's this already, but not yet since. So much of scripture has that, especially in the Old Testament prophets, but there's this already, but not yet since. So I really do believe, and I'll explain why here. I'll unpack it from the text. I believe there's what we just talked about and looked at is the not yet portion of this passage that it's, it's secured, it's coming, it's promised because of the empty grave, but we don't experience the total defeat of death quite yet. As verse 26 says, it's the last enemy to be abolished. It's not quite yet but there's an already sense to this passage. I'm gonna unpack it a little bit and then I'll give you that second point that I know you're so eager to write down. Jump with me to verse 55. So he changes his quote from Isaiah 25 and he's quoting from Hosea here, building his argument from the words of scripture in the Old Testament. He says, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Why do I feel like there's a difference in, okay, we already get to experience this taunting of death. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's because of what he says in verses 56 through 57. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Let me ask you, does death, when we experience death around us, does death sting? Is it painful? Yes, like let's not lie about that. So is scripture wrong? No. (laughs) What's he saying? Sting of death is sin. The stinger, the the part of death that that torments people and you could even say taunts people and, and scares people ultimately is not knowing what's beyond the grave and certainly for, for people that believe God exists and even I would say atheists too, and, and fear of standing before God, of judgment of God. That, that's that part that's tormenting. So death is painful, but the part that sting, the, the stinger that is like, man, I wanna stay away from that, that, that could get me, is, is sin. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So let's unpa- unpack that. The sting of death is sin. So again, what is most terrifying about death for any human being is Standing before God, knowing that the wages of sin is what? Death. Eternal separation from God, torment in hell, literally, forever. That's, that's the sting. And what gives the power to sin? He says it's the law. One, because it, as Paul says in Romans, that Sin, as pervasive as it is, it sees the law or sin in us sees the law and utilizes it. It says, Paul says it seizes the opportunity to just make us more sinful. So now that we know what lust is, we're gonna lust more. Now that we know what he says in Romans, what covetousness is, we're gonna covet more because sin seizes the opportunity to do that. But more than that, sin condemns us, sorry, excuse me, the law, under the law, we're all condemned. That's what gives the power to sin. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So because we're all under the law and we've all sinned, we're all condemned. So he says, that's what gives sin its power, what makes us scared because now we're gonna, we know we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna face his wrath because we're all broken, evil, sinful people who have rejected him. And that's what's scary about death. Y'all tracking with me still? Can you give me a little something? You with me? Okay, so... 
He says, that's what's scary. That's what's so bad about it. But, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is this an already? Well, the the death being swallowed up in victory was not yet. Why is this an already sense? It's because Jesus has won the victory. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law through his life. He lived the life that you and I could never live. So the places we struggle and we, not just struggle, we fly out and just give in to sin and rebel against God. Jesus lived perfectly and so fulfilled the law in our place. But more than that, or in addition to that, he then died the death that we deserve because we didn't fulfill the law. So what is Paul saying? He said, Jesus completely fulfilled the law and rendered it powerless. And now he's also completely paid the price for our sin. So sin no longer has power over us. So now what used to torment us and scare us about death no longer has to because Jesus has won the victory. He has conquered what made death so scary. So Paul's able to say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because I'm not scared of death anymore because I know I'm forgiven and accepted and loved in Christ. And because of that, when I stand before God on judgment day, I know that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because he sees the victory of Jesus, not the failure of Brandon. He says, praise be to God for the victory in Jesus. He taunts death. And you say, well, Brandon, like, do people, that was Paul, man. Paul's like on a whole nother level, right? Like, do people today really taunt death? Yeah. You remember um, our, our, my good friend and, and David Maddox's mom, Miss um, Shirley Maddox, just passed away a few, a few, a few weeks ago. And I asked, I asked the family if I could share this. I shared it at the funeral, but um, I want to share it today. One of the coolest stories... Uh, from Miss from Miss Shirley, and, and her some of her final days happened. I guess about two weeks before she actually passed, and this is not surprising because Miss Shirley knew Jesus and walked with Jesus and knew the power of Jesus. But about two weeks before she passed, she was in the hospital, and one of the nurses there was was talking with her and explain and kind of there's coming to the realization that man her her days were were numbered. You could say she didn't have much more time on this earth, and so the, the nurse was asking her. Um, what she hoped to do in her final days and places she wanted to go just in those last maybe couple of weeks or month. And she was talking, she wanted to go to the beach and different things like that. And she finally, she, she told, she kind of paused and told the nurse, you know, you need to know, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. She said, I can't wait to get to heaven and see my best friend. I'm gonna see my mom and my daddy. And then she said, I'm gonna see my Jesus. <laughs> not afraid to die. She's ready to go home. That was Miss Shirley saying, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? I'm not scared of you. Yes, I'm gonna experience it. Death hasn't been swallowed up yet. It's coming. But even now, I'm not scared of you, death, because I know that I'm gonna stand before God, forgiven and cleansed and made whole because of the finished work of Jesus. So death, I ain't scared of you. <laughs> What's the, the second truth you need to see? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we enjoy victory over death even today. Even today. Paul looked at these, true two, these, excuse me, these two truths of the fact that 
Death will one day be no longer part of our story because of Jesus. And also that today we enjoy victory over it. We don't have to be scared of it. And here's what he says. So knowing that, here's what you should do. Like today, March, March, May 30th, 2021, even if death seems far away from you and you're not losing loved ones right and left, here's what you need to do, believer. Verse 58, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast, be immovable in what? In chapter 15, verse one and two, he said, he told him, I know you've taken your stand on the gospel, what you've received. And he's closing the chapter with that same idea. So knowing that death will not be a part of your story forever, knowing that we enjoy victory over death today because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that stand firm on the gospel, cling to the gospel truth that yes, Jesus is real, that yes, he really lived the perfect life for you. Yes, he died for you and rose again. And yes, you have new life in him and he's worth following because we don't serve some dead guy in a grave. We serve a living, a living, risen, victorious King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Knowing that you stand firm in the gospel. When you lose a loved one, when you lose a friend, when you lose a coworker, when death is knocking at your door, you stand firm in the gospel because you know Jesus has conquered it. He swallowed every dadgum last drop of it, of the the pain and and the condemnation that you deserved. He swallowed it all and gave you in him victory over death. So you stand firm in the gospel. You walk with Jesus day in, day out, immovable. What does that mean? Yes, Satan in the world is gonna try to push you off the gospel. And do you really believe that? Are you sure? And you hold your ground. You hold the ground because Jesus has secured the beachhead. Whatever battle you're in, you hold your ground knowing that the war will be over one day. Stand firm. Don't give in, look to him. If you, if you look to this middle of the middle of your life, it's gonna be flimsy and shaky. And by golly, it's kind of windy in Lubbock sometimes, right? <laughs> this is gonna throw you around. You look to the finished work of Christ on the cross and you look to what you know he has secured for you and you hold your ground. Don't give in, look to him. We know victory is sure because we know the victor, Jesus Christ. Stand your ground. As we respond this morning, I'm gonna ask you to stand up as our worship team comes. As we respond, I think, I think there's a, a couple ways we can respond quickly. I'll, I'll list these out or give these to you to consider. One is as a believer, do you need to look to him? Maybe you've gotten your focus, your, your attention on your struggle, on the hardship, on how difficult it is to follow Jesus, on the, on the pain and loss or the suffering and the pain of loss, of death. And Jesus this morning is inviting you to fix your eyes back on him. So maybe you need to do that through prayer. Maybe you wanna come down to the altar and talk with one of our folks that'll be down here in a minute and just say, hey, would you pray for me? Help me to fix my eyes back on Jesus. Others of you need to dig your feet in and hold your ground. Maybe you've, you've been tempted to be swayed in, in your faith and your, in your assurance of the gospel and this morning, Jesus is calling you to to hold your ground, to dig your feet in, to keep your feet 
uh, firmly planted in the gospel. So maybe this morning, right where you're at, or maybe down front, you need to come and just, and just kneel and say, God, would you help me to, to stay rooted and firmly in the gospel, to stand firm in the gospel, to hold true to what I know is true, what your word tells me, to look to the empty grave and trust that your word is true. Hold your ground. For others of you, maybe it's to simply just to respond to simply just to sing and, can, and rejoice in the victory of Jesus. And for others of you still, maybe this morning you're here and, and death still scares the mess out of you because you, you don't know Jesus. It's normal to be a little like, of course we're all a little scared of death and unsure, but maybe you're like truly scared of it because you're not sure what the future holds for you. You can know what the future holds for you when Jesus holds you. <laughs> so this morning, if you don't know Christ and you've been trusting in your own goodness to get to heaven, why don't you put those old filthy rags down and come to Jesus and place your faith and trust in his finished work on your behalf through the, his life, death, and resurrection. There'll be some folks down front that would, maybe that's you. Again, they're gonna be praying with people and, and answering que questions. Maybe you wanna come and talk to them and just say, hey, I don't know Jesus, I'm ready to trust him. They would love to talk with you and pray with you this morning. If you're watching online, reach out to us, shoot us a um, a comment if you're on Facebook or uh, I can't think of the word right now. Oh my gosh. Um, just let us know if you need help. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drawing a blank there. And, and trust in Christ. We'd love to walk with you through that. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond. Jesus, thank you for the victory you have secured for us. God, the hope that we have in you, but also the fact that even today we can taunt death because of your death and your resurrection. Lord, would you, would you draw people to yourself this morning? God, would you give them boldness to, to if it would be helpful? God, would you give them boldness to come down front and pray or to talk with someone or just, Lord, to, to, to kneel and just say, God, would you help me to plant my feet firmly in the truth? Lord, as we sing this song, maybe some just need to stand and sing. God, would you, would you stir our hearts and our minds toward you, God? to daily fix our eyes on your victory. God, we love you and trust you're gonna help us respond and you're gonna do what you need to do in our lives to make us more like you. God, we love you. Help us to sing boldly for you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 